The Olympic Winter Games kick off this week in Beijing, and Canada looks to match the high bar our athletes set in South Korea in 2018. With NHLers not taking to the ice and some key athletes from past Olympics retiring, not to mention an ongoing pandemic, it's shaping up to be a tough-to-predict couple of weeks. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Post-media national sports writer Scott Stinson, who is part of our team covering the Games, joins me to discuss who our strongest medal hopefuls are, where we could see some surprises, and how COVID-19 could play havoc on the competitions. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Scott, in 2018, Canada finished with 29 medals, including 11 gold, and that placed us third in the medal table behind powerhouses Norway and Germany. Heading into Beijing, what's the feeling around where Canada will finish? Will they fare as well this time out? Or is it even too hard to predict because COVID could throw everything for a loop? (laughs) Yeah. From a wagering standpoint, I would be really reluctant to try to make any predictions on overall medal totals only because who knows, Dave? Like, There's all sorts of reports already coming out of Beijing about people who test negative before they depart and then they test positive when they get there. The particular problem seems to be if you recently recovered from a COVID infection and are testing negative here, you can still test positive there due to the higher sensitivity of the tests that they're using in China. So there's just a real wild card, I think, in terms of how many athletes will get dinged by this problem, whether or not they'll arrive early enough that that just means they do some isolation and then they get out of their hotel room in time. So in that sort of broad sense, who knows? But I do think that generally speaking, assuming there was no pandemic happening at the same time and we were just evaluating medal contenders, I think Canada would be expecting to be somewhere around where they were in in Pyeongchang. You know, a third might be a little optimistic because the thing that sort of jumps out still looking at those standings is that we were ahead of the United States in South Korea, which still seems bonkers in any Olympics. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be, you know, top five seems like a reasonable goal, but we'll have to see how it all shakes out. It's fair enough. Like everything the last two years, it's easy to imagine the Olympics being just as up in the air as all of our lives have been the last two years. So looking at some of these sport by sport, then areas where Canada has had past success, We can break some of this down. And the first one that comes to mind, obviously, for a lot of Canadians is hockey. And I know that the last time you and I talked, we addressed the elephant in the room, that the best hockey players in the world aren't going to be in the men's tournament. And so Hockey Canada finally announced the men's lineup for the Canadian Olympic team. I'm curious what you think their chances are. I hate to keep saying, I don't know. But but the thing is, like, is really hard to handicap this tournament in particular yeah. because, you know, you could look at the Team Canada lineup and go, well, there's some pretty decent players there. I mean, Eric Stahl, obviously an NHL great who just recently stepped away from the game. Josh Hosang, who's currently playing for the AHL's Toronto Marlies. He's been a dazzling prospect before who hasn't quite been able to get his NHL career together. You have Owen Power, who was amazing at the World Juniors not long ago, even though they were cut short. By COVID. So there's a lot of interesting talent on that team. It's just really hard to know where 
that puts them relative to all these other nations that also have strange teams. I mean, they were bronze medalists in Korea with, I think what you'd call call a fairly similar type of lineup in that Mm -hmm. it was European pros and some other guys sprinkled in there. But, you know, a team like Russia, again, has this advantage where they're going to use a lot of players from the KHL who play in in like is the second best hockey league in the world, really beyond the NHL. So they're drawing from a deeper pool of talent. So that's, they got to be the gold medal favorites. And then beyond them, it'll be whichever one of the traditional hockey powers, Canada, Sweden, Finland, the United States can rustle together a team that happens to play well for a week to 10 days. Can Canada be one of those teams? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd also throw in, you know, Claude Julien, really good coach. And they're going to have first rate people throughout the whole organization in terms of the training staff and the coaching staff and all that. So I think Canada will have some baked in advantages, you know, the infrastructure of Hockey Canada, so to speak. But whether that translates to good enough players on the ice, we'll only know once the games actually start. On the women's side of the hockey ledger, am I right to assume it's more likely than not to be another situation where the U.S. and Canada play once again for gold and everyone else fights for bronze? Or has the playing field leveled somewhat? The gap has shortened, I would say, but it is still like a canyon of difference between Canada and the United States and the rest of the world in women's hockey. It would be like a shocking upset if either Canada or the U.S. lose before the finals. Mm -hmm. It's a little boring for that reason. (laughs) You know, like it it would be nice to see Finland or or Russia or Sweden or somebody make a real run. Uh, It doesn't seem likely unless you have a situation like I alluded to earlier with like a pandemic related disaster that suddenly... There's eight or 10 players out of the Canadian lineup or the U.S. lineup, and then all bets are off. But assuming that they go through it relatively normally, the talent gap between them and everybody else is is just cavernous. So I would expect it'll be another Canada-U.S. final. And we've already seen, you know, like these two teams couldn't be more close. They trade the world championships back and forth. They win these Olympic gold medal games by the thinnest of margins and shootouts and overtime and things like that. And it was an overtime win when they played at the world championships in the summer, the delayed world championships between those two teams again. So, you know, if I get back to the wagering thing, I would bet on a one goal outcome either way, in <laughs> the gold medal final between uh, Canada and the U S and you'll be covered. Looking at some of the other sports, One area that Canada usually is a contender in is curling. I was reading predictions online and I saw one prediction that figured Canada might finish off the podium, but we have some strong curlers heading to Beijing, don't we? We absolutely. I mean, the national curling trials in Canada are like pretty much the toughest tournament there is because there are just good teams from every province and it's essentially a Briar or a Scotties and ultimately the a spot in the Olympics is on the line. So you have Jennifer Jones's team coming out of the women's side and you have Brad Gushu's team coming out of the men's side. Both these people have national championship and world championship and Olympic experience. And on the mixed double sides, it's uh, John Morris and Rachel Holman, all, again, who are like from powerhouse rinks and four man or four woman team. So 
is it possible that they have another like face plant like they did in Korea where it was only the mixed doubles that ended up with a medal and was one of the shocks of the games that neither Canadian four-person rink made the finals? I suppose it's possible. That is definitely a sport where the gap really has closed between what used to be the powerhouse nations like Canada and curling and the rest of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. we have just seen that turns out to be a sport that if you put some coaching and resources behind it, you can identify a team and say, this is going to be our Olympic curling team. And they can be pretty darn good by the time an Olympics comes around. We do it more organically where you have to kind of fight your way through a normal qualifying proceeding. But there are other countries that just say, okay, these four people plus an alternate are going to be in the Olympics. And then they spend four years sharpening their skills. And turns out you can be pretty good at curling if you do that. So I still think you'll probably get two medals out of those three teams, but uh, at at the least, maybe three. Mm -hmm. But stranger things have happened before, right? I mean, we had a colleague of ours, Ted Wyman, who was doing the curling in Korea, and and we kind of assumed he would do the early round games, Canada would win a bunch, and then he would go away from it and do something else for a while and come back for the medal rounds. And then, like, Canada kept losing, and he ended up doing curling, like, pretty much the whole Olympics because they were such a big story that they needed to, like, they went into all of a sudden, they needed to win every game. They ended up not doing it in either case. So hopefully for Ted's sake, he gets a break from the curling at some point uh, this time around. (laughs) Well, I mean, stepping away from the the hockey rink and the curling rink, there are a lot of other events where Canada fares fairly well. We've seen success in past Olympics. And I'm just wondering if there are any standouts for you in some of these other events, you know, like snowboarding, where we have seen Canadian Olympians Medal have a lot of success on the board. I'm just curious, heading into Beijing, are there any athletes that stand out for you as potentials? Yeah, I think snowboarding and freestyle skiing are the two that jump out for me, partly because I covered both of those sports in Korea, so I'm a little more familiar with them. But they're returning a lot of the same athletes who won medals four years ago. So Right away, you have to say, well, that's promising. And and they also, the teams are bigger. I mean, there's just, there's a bunch of Canadian snowboarders who are medal contenders in both snowboarding events, which is uh, slope style and big air. And then there are medal contenders in moguls, of course, Mikhail Kingsbury going for his third straight Olympic medal, second straight gold. Cassie Sharp was a gold medalist in freestyle halfpipe skiing in Korea. She's back again. Her brother Darcy, interestingly, is a snowboarder, so he's on the snowboarding team. Hmm. So there's just like all kinds of potential medal contenders. These are all kind of funny sports in that, similar to figure skating, where all it takes is a slip and boom, you go from a medal contender to it also ran. So there's some variance in the outcomes. You can't say with any super degree of confidence that any particular snowboarder is going to lock down a gold, but... We have so many who are good that I'd be very surprised if you didn't see some serious medals coming out of there. I'll just mention, too, Max Perot, who won a silver in Pyeongchang, ended up being diagnosed with a blood cancer a few months after that and mm-hmm. basically had to take time off and fight it. And he's back and recovered and hasn't competed a lot. I think just sort of trying to preserve his health in the run up to Beijing. But he's back and competed at the X Games a few days ago. and. Obviously, he'll be a a really interesting story to watch and we can get back on the podium. We'll be right back. (music) 
looking at past successes in the Olympics, especially in South Korea, we had a great figure skating showing four years ago, but some of those key people are no longer skating for Canada. Patrick Chan, Tessa Virtue, Scott Moyer, they've retired. What is figure skating looking like for Canada this time out? Is it like a rebuilding Olympics? Are there people who maybe could show some promise, potentially kind of have a breakout games, or is it maybe not going to be our best showing? I think it's going to be, I guess I would call it an expected dip in form, only because, as you say, Virtue and Moore are out of the competitive sport now. They were like a phenomenon in Korea. They've been building towards it for a number of years. They had this whole like massive funding apparatus behind them and they were, you know, going for gold and they got gold. And it was one of the signature moments of those games. So they're no longer there as the sort of beating heart of the figure skating team. There are a couple of people who are medal contenders. Piper Gillis and Paul Poirier, her partner, are bronze medalists in ice dance and the world championships recently. So they have to be considered a, a medal contender in ice dance. And then the team event Canada, I would say, has a decent shot at a podium just because they have a big team and there's a lot of decent figure skaters on it, even though they're not necessarily individual medal contenders. But if you can sort of the team event, you just kind of need depth is a very good thing to have in that. And they have some of that. And then beyond that, I think we don't really expect any Canadians to be meddling just because it's some younger people, some people who've been at world championships, but not really ever near a podium. So unless it's like that skate of their life kind of situation, or there's major uh, stumbles in the people ahead of them, then I think we'll probably see this as a time and as an event where Canada gets some new figure skaters out and and getting Olympic experience and hoping to build towards another quadrennial after this one. Because other than the ice dance pair that I mentioned, it would be quite a surprise if you saw somebody uh, threatening a podium from the Canadian side. Moving on to probably one of my favorite collection of events, even though on TV, (laughs) it just looks like, you know, quick shots of a sled moving through the frame, but (laughs) I'm a big fan of watching the sliding sports. Okay. You know, bobsleigh, luge and skeleton. And first off, I'm really excited to see this new event that they have coming women's mono Bob. What can you tell me about this event and why we have a new sliding sport in the Olympics. The why we have it part, I I have to admit, I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) I just chalk it up to the Olympics is forever fiddling with stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and all of a sudden there's team curling and and you sort of say to yourself, well, does anyone play team curling? Like that doesn't really seem like a thing. Uh, Sorry. When I say team, I mean, mixed doubles curling. Like that's just not the way the sports normally play, but all of a sudden it's in the Olympics. So so I don't know. They, I think, decided they wanted to have an extra event on the calendar. And and one thing it does do is there is a four-man bobsled and a two-man bobsled. But there was only previously a two-woman bobsled and not a four-woman bobsled. So mm-hmm. this balances things out a little. There's now two things of each. And yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's two Canadians in the monobob who are sort of veterans, been around for a while. And the Canadian bobsled team is quite competitive to end up being people chosen to participate and even when you're at an olympics like sometimes they mess around with the team lineups during the actual olympics because they're trying to find the best combination of 
pilots and riders to give them chances at the medal. So again, Canada's got a big team. They'll have some medal contenders throughout it. I think Justin Cripps was the co-gold medalist in Korea in four man and in one of the craziest things I've seen covering a sport where he came down and was tied for gold and they just saw the one so they thought they'd won the gold and then the Germans who they tied with were all jumping up and congratulating them and the Canadians didn't know what was going on because they're like why are these guys so happy we won and then they realized that they're tied so it can be a very fun event and and the differences in timing is, is bonkers and I'll just mention too Dave the one thing that is intriguing about the bobsled this time around is that Kaylee Humphreys, the multiple medalist for Canada, is sliding for the United States now. She had, I guess, what you could best be described as a tremendous falling out with the Canadian team, was eventually let to leave and was given U.S. citizenship in what has to be said is somewhat uh, fishy circumstances because she was not previously American. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she is now and she's uh, piloting for them. So. We will see how that goes. I don't imagine there'll be lots of uh, friendly hugs between the Canadians and Ms. Humphreys. And lastly, I know Canada has had success on the ski slopes. It's obviously a sport where Europeans tend to dominate. I'm just wondering, are there any events, you know, downhill slalom, anything like that, where Canada potentially could play uh, spoiler? The funny thing about an Olympics Alpine event is that because they limit the number of people who come from each country, I believe it's four. Mm -hmm. So you only have four Austrians and four Swiss and four Italians, whereas like at a World Cup event, you might have 10 of each. So in a sense, it's actually a little easier to sneak your way onto a podium in an Alpine event because the field just isn't as deep. Having said that, this is kind of a starting ground time, I guess I would say, for the Olympics for... This group of Alpine athletes, there's a lot of young men and women on the team. I think they're building, they're sort of seeing this as like a experience gaining event with an eye on 2026. But it's, again, sort of like bobsled, the razor thin margins between being on the podium and not being on the podium. Sometimes you're talking tenths and hundreds of seconds. So there are some men on the downhill side, the speed team, Jack Crawford, Broderick Thompson, a couple kids who are sons of Ken Reed, the former Crazy Canuck, are on the team. So they have, I would characterize it as outside medal possibilities. And then on the women's side, they have a strong, let's call it a technical team, the slalom and giant slalom races. So some women on that side have been on World Cup podiums before. So again, if things break right, you could find a Canadian on podium on that side too. So they're not what you'd call metal favorites that don't go into the games with big expectations, but they see this, I think, as a real start of a growth period for Alpine Canada after a few lean years. So we'll see what happens with that. Just talking about all this gets me kind of excited to be tuning into some <laughs> of the events. Canadians will be watching closely. We'll be following your coverage from Beijing. Scott, thanks for your time. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Have a great one. Ten Three is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Scott Stinson. More from him and the rest of our Olympic team at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.